Welcome back, everybody, to the Sorry Interrupt Podcast. We're here for, I guess you could call it Monday Rundown, since the last dance is like a sporting event now. Um, Tom, what's going on, buddy? How are you? What's going on, man? Yeah, it's pretty much all we got, so we might as well treat it as the Super Bowl. Because it's, <laughs> it's really all that we have now that the draft is over. Um, they pushed back to even the even the draft lottery for the NBA, and I was depressed about that. I and mean, usually that's just... Um, depressing because the Knicks never get the number one overall pick when you want it, but now it's just depressing because we don't even know who's picking. Exactly, and and Lord knows, I mean, the draft obviously won't happen in June, so no, you know they're trying to get a season going, and they can't do any kind of transactions or drafts or whatever until a season is either deemed canceled or finalized in whatever capacity that is. And maybe we'll forecast that or talk about certain ideas that are being floated out. But anyway, man, let's get into this last dance. So we briefly talked about episodes one and two a few weeks back. So we've had four new ones since then, including five and six last night. Let's pick up with episode three, which was the Dennis Rodman highlight, and I honestly would call it the Carmen Electra highlight because he's got, <laughs> got a lot of heat on that fastball still. Wow, um, man. I completely yeah. agree. She, I don't know if she had some work done because she knew this was coming or whatnot, but she looked great. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, she was being talked about as much as anything from that doc, so... You know, Rodman, obviously, is a very interesting character, right? I mean, we, mm-hmm. we knew that with the piercings and the hair, and even now the, the friendship with Kim Jong-un in North Korea. But Yeah, it doesn't get know, much uh, much better than that. No, no. And the best part about that is, like, he considers him a friend. Like, he does, he's not even doing it for, like, diplomacy reasons. Like, he literally thinks he's a friend. Yeah, that's his boy. That's his boy. And the guy who obviously had been married to Madonna and, you know, was with Carmen Electra. I mean, that's pretty crazy. But, you know, we remember him from those Bad Boy Pistons team as kind of that last piece that was the enforcer, right? I mean, he blended in with Lambeer and Isaiah, and he was just the tough-as-nails guy. Is Kim Jong-un dying? I'm looking him up on... on, uh... There's been a lot of talk about his health. It says that he did not have that surgery. So, as far as I can see... um... Just going from bullshit news things, uh, he did not have that surgery. Okay. My cousin well, actually told me that he died, and I was like, who's your source? And he said Twitter. And then I was like, okay. <laughs> well, you're an expert, so. Yeah, th- yeah. thanks for that. Let's just remember, like, nothing's going to come out about Kim Jong-un. And- oh, no, hell like, no. We're not going to find out until somebody else is sending us tapes or something. Exactly. And, and they're risking their lives to do so, but... Yeah, so so Rodman, obviously, you know, he goes to San Antonio, and he had kind of lost his way there. This is obviously after the Bad Boy Pistons run, where he was an an incredible player. One of the first, aside from, I would say, Bill Russell, one of the first guys that you could say, like, truly affected a game without scoring a basket. Yes, I mean, his defense, and, you know, he... What was interesting about that Bad Boy Pistons team is, like, they were heralded as a really good defensive team. I didn't think they were as defensively great as people talk about. I think they were just so physically imposing. Yeah. And obviously, you saw... They weren't technically they sound, but they just beat the shit out of everybody. Right. But Rodman was. I mean, he was a legitimate difference maker on the defensive side of the ball. And, we, you know, at that part of the dock, you're seeing what they were putting Jordan through in those couple of years just getting the shit beat out of them. They had the Jordan rules, obviously. 
And so Rodman finds his way off there after after they finally lose to the Bulls, and we'll talk about Isaiah and the handshake or lack thereof in a little bit. But you know, he goes to San Antonio and he's just lost his way. I mean, he's not happy. He's he's really just acting out. Doesn't want to play. David Robinson was not really the kind of leader that was going to say, "Hey, you got to get your shit together." He wasn't an alpha dog like a Jordan. And the the uh, Bulls kind of need him. And there was talk in the front office that we don't want any part of this guy. I don't want to deal with him. But Phil was like, "I think I can get. I think I can get through to him, and we have the pieces here." To, to work it out. And obviously he, he, it resulted in a couple championships. What did you take away from the way he discussed his San Antonio days and to how he kind of thought he fit in with Pippen and Jordan and the Bulls? Well, he just didn't want to be in San Antonio. And the first thing I took away, cause the Rodman story we already kind of knew, I wanted them to go more deeply into the Phil story, which I found a hell of a lot more interesting um, just him coaching in random countries and whatnot, but we'll get into that after. Um, cool. I mean, the thing for me was Dennis Rodman's style. I think oh, yeah. he was just one of the swaggiest dudes on the planet. Um, and, you know, me, I'm into vintage. I have my website where it's vintage gear and whatnot. And just the blending, like, this is just right up my alley, like, everything about it. But when it, when it comes to that, he just, I mean, I think he said in the documentary when it comes to San Antonio, like, he just didn't want to be there. And when he went to Chicago, I think it was just like, all right, I'm playing with Michael Jordan, the greatest player ever, and I'm playing for a winner. And he just got his shit together as best he could. Yeah, I, I took that, too. It, it was, was one of those things with MJ where it's like, does MJ really even need to say anything? He's the GOAT. Right, and he he had kind of at that point he had already become that. Like he had already done things in his career that even the greatest players of all time. Already won three rings, you know. Yeah, exactly. In in a three-peat. Right, which had never been done. So you have Rodman who comes on, and I thought it was really interesting when they were talking about the '98 season about how he was really heavily relied on, which made him feel great when Pippen was obviously out. But he always felt like he was the third guy. So when Pippen came back, you saw that morale really start to be lost. And you're like, oh, I guess I'm back to the third, you know, third. Well, no shit. Here. I mean, my thing is like, I know he's a, he's a different type of guy, but it's like, no shit, you're the third guy. Scottie Pippen's probably one of the best two way players of all time. Probably a top twenty five player of all time. Rodman, in his own right, is a Hall of Famer, but I don't even know if he makes it into the top one hundred. No, probably not. I mean, if he is, he's you know way back there, but. It is interesting because it's all about the psychology of what a player... I mean, it takes a special kind of guy to be the third guy. And, I mean, he he obviously relished being counted on as much as he was in that 98 season when Pippen wasn't playing yet. And when Pippen came back, it was kind of, okay, it's going to go back to Michael and Scotty, and, and I've just lost the fire because I don't think I'm going to be needed as much anymore. And, and it's a weird way to think about it, but some guys are wired that way. And then the vacation happens that is one of the coolest stories. And and that just goes to talk about how great Phil is. Phil might be like, imagine if Phil that. Jackson was your dad. Like, he'd be the coolest dad ever. Oh, yes. I mean, yeah. I don't know where I'd be right now, but he would well, be. let's take the next day. Uh, like dad, he'd be, I'd be like, Dad, I need a week off from school. I'm just going to stay home and, like, smoke a little bit and just kind of chill out. He'd be like, yeah, he'd probably smoke with me. Oh, he definitely would. Are you kidding me? He'd have those POE pipes going. You know, he was, I honestly, 
thought it was so cool. And that's what I think, you know, obviously X's and O's and he adopted the triangle and all of that stuff. But, you know, when you're managing a superstar team with a lot of egos, X's and O's don't matter that much. You know, it's about how can you massage the egos? How can you get everybody to coexist and make everybody believe that they're incredibly significant? And I think that's that the point with his important. implementation of the triangle is that he's that's that's kind of an offense that's going to massage egos by getting, you know, the ball, ball movement and getting the ball to the right guy and not just Michael Iso scoring and trying to keep the team together. Well, that was exactly it. And, and Jordan, remember, wasn't all that excited about it at first because you're basically taking the ball out of the best player's hands but he was convinced that this is what you had to do to win just getting back to that vacation thing with Rodman before we move off of that you know he is a really different guy and I bet you they would have lost him that year and they don't win a championship if Phil is if Phil relents on letting him do that if Phil's any other coach in the world it's like are you out of your mind right it's like this isn't in your contract like we're not, but they knew he'd they'd lose him. And if they lost Rodman, they're losing a linchpin on that team that was going to be so instrumental. And we saw when he came back, I mean, he was reborn again, you know, as crazy as that sounds. And yeah. just fit, led them to, to the Eastern Conference Championship. That just goes to show if you're good enough at your job, just whenever you're feeling it, demand a vacation. <laughs> exactly. In any facet, right? That's what I took from it. Although I'm sure everyone in the world right now is – you know, whether or not they hate their job is dying to get out of their house and get back to work. Yeah, we're good for vacations for a while. Um, So what did you want to talk about next from that episode? Did you want to talk any more about Rodman or did you want to move on? Just the style. I mean, I think he was ahead of his time when it came to most most styles and whatnot. Like, he just, he killed it. And, And when he started dating Madonna and being a free spirit or whatever, everybody said, oh, that's when he went off the rails. I just think that's when he just really killed it. Honestly. Yeah, and that's what he said was like, that's when I got to be me. I felt like I was not, you know, able to be me in Detroit. You know, and, and to him dressing up, right. him cross-dressing and whatever, that's a little much for me. But, hey, you know what? Whatever floats your boat, man. But you're I'm not talking about that look? You're not, trying to, you're not trying to implement that in here? No, in that's – I mean, maybe on Halloween, but that's a little much for me. <laughs> um, but, I, I mean, his, some of his outfits were just – like I was like, oh my god, he this is like the pinnacle. Him and him and Phil, just their style. Because I know Scotty tries to be clean cut. Same thing with MJ. Their style, like they really won a lot of points with me. And I think awesome. I think you know moving forward to episode four because I think everything that needs. I think this is it. We've capped out on the Dennis Rodman documentary. It's like that's enough. I think there should be a full on Phil documentary though for sure. Dude, his story is crazy. I mean, he goes from obviously winning the championships with the Knicks and being a very good player, and then you have his whole backstory of how he was raised super... um, I I don't remember what religion he was. Maybe... I know it was some type of Catholicism, but I don't know what, because I remember Jesus was mentioned a bunch of times, or some type of Christian. Wasn't it like Seventh-day and... Adventist or whatever whatever it is like kind yeah of yeah yeah like the Mormon side something like that right very strong I, I think he went to set he lived in South Dakota but he he you know became obsessed with Indians and all this shit I just found it very interesting and you know this guy I mean is there anybody in the world coaching combined with playing that has more championships the guy's got 13 rings I believe how many does Russell have 
11, Russell's right? got 11 as a player. Yeah, yeah, so it's probably Phil. I want to see... Trying to think of any of the Yankee guy like Barra won a couple as a coach on the Barra might have teams. more. Barra might have more. I could look that up for you. But I just think, you know, the guy was coaching. Was it in Argentina or something he was coaching? Yeah, it was somewhere in South America, yeah, where they were talking about how the owner got suspended but only from home games for shooting an official in the leg. And you got imagine that. Imagine if like fucking that happened to Rick Pitino and then he comes back to Iona. <laughs> Like, that Dude, shit is like, just insane. It is. But he paid his dues, and then he goes to the Canadian Basketball Association. Yogi's got 13 World Series, by the way. So they're tied. Okay. Yeah, because I got to imagine two of those were when he was a coach on Billy Martin's staff in 77, 78. But, yep. yeah, that's – okay, right. so you got 13. That's, I will count that. That's crazy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, hey, he, he had something to do with it for sure. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, he goes – Phil Jackson, that is, goes to Albany – wins a championship in the Canadian Basketball Association, and then he's poached by Jerry Krause to be a to be an assistant under Doug Collins. And I thought that whole story was really interesting, too, when we should talk about I Doug wish Collins. they would have... I mean, I, I get it, because this is an MJ documentary, but I feel like if, like three documentaries have stemmed from this, and one being like a deep dive on Phil's life, if he allows it, because... They just kind of gloss over the fact that who was it? Doug Collins, right? Was a coach. Yep. Yep. He that he was just like, yeah, Scotty's gonna take my job. Like, or not Scotty? Excuse me. Phil is gonna take my job. Like uh, I can tell because he cozied up to Tex Winter and Kraus. That was his like fucking, you know, Jesus Christ himself. And he he they they literally just threw that in there. And it's like let's talk like three minutes about this. Come on. I know, man. I, I was really – I wanted more on Doug Collins and everything because he really was a damn good coach, and he untapped Jordan to levels that Jordan wasn't quite there yet. And you could see how much he loved playing for him and how that Bulls team just absolutely loved playing for this guy. But he was an ISO guy. He was always get the ball in the best player's hands, which made sense. But sometimes it was the expense of the other team – or the rest of the players on the team, rather – yeah, And that's why, I mean, I don't know if it was, I'll put it this way, and I'm sure you'll agree. I don't know if they win six titles with him, but they get one at some point with Doug Collins, right? Yeah. Again, though, the the, the right decision was Phil. I mean, I don't think For you sure. can argue that. But I agree with no, you, yeah. No, no, I think no. they get at least one just on Jordan himself. Yeah, and I thought he was a good coach. And again, like we've seen this in the history of sports. I mean, like, does does buck show walter not win a championship with those yankee teams uh, yeah again i, I, I don't know if he, he gets does i don't know he if he gets what did tory get years. four and five years right right yeah i i don't think he gets four and five years but he definitely gets over the top once but again the right decision was made there too and you know you see a couple of similarities with those guys again they might not be the best and i'm talking phil and, and tory and obviously you know um Collins and Showalter is Collins and Showalter might have been the best as far as like X's and O's guys, but they weren't able to massage egos and get best players to play like a championship team and get everybody to buy into their role, like you know the Tory and Phil's were. Because was Phil a great X's and O's guy? Sure he was. Obviously you don't get the, to where he was if he wasn't. But hit, what made him great was knowing what buttons to push and knowing how to put guys in the right position to succeed. No doubt about it. And then it led up to towards the end. I mean, Jesus, I know the guy's dead, but Kraus really, this is just, 
obviously, again, it's an MJ documentary, but second to that, I think it's a shit on Jerry Krause documentary. It is. This guy, I don't know if it's totally fair. No, I don't, I don't find it to be fair, too, because I don't think they're giving him enough credit for the team that he built. They're kind of highlighting all the things he did wrong. And, and of course, don't get me wrong, he did a lot of things wrong, including the thing that he did, which was, in my opinion, the most wrong, which was just telling Phil, you're done after this year, not even giving them a chance to win four in a row. And I think MJ comes back 100%. I think that whole team comes back instead of trying to rebuild. But... I mean, he did do a lot, and they don't give him enough credit. I mean, trading Oakley and getting, um, who was it, Bill Cartwright? Yep. And, and getting a guy like Horace Grant, and then when Horace Grant goes, going out and getting a guy like Rodman when he had all the say not to get him, and drafting Scottie Pippen, making that trade to go and get him, getting a coup coach who was an integral part to the second three-peat as well. I mean, there was a lot of things he did that were positive. I think... You know, maybe if you can add an 11th episode, even if it's a 20-minute one, it's like, hey, you know, he wasn't that bad. I think he was the fall guy a lot for Reinsdorf. Reinsdorf didn't want to pay these guys. I think Reinsdorf looks way looks really bad because he, he's absolutely not defending yeah, that's the thing that, the that things, That's the thing that nobody's saying is that he just kind of hangs him out to dry a lot. Yeah, and I listen. And I you understand. hear in the documentary that this guy is one of the most loyal guys you ever meet. So obviously Krauss isn't going to be like, hey, what the fuck? Like, you know, have my back a little bit because he's very loyal. So I guess he was just hung out to dry. Yeah. And, and you know, what I will say about Krauss, I mean, you know, because he's not completely absolved. I think some of the criticism is more than fair. I mean, like you said, not even giving him a chance to win a fourth one. Not only saying going into the season that Phil is done after that year, but how about after that loss in Utah before the All-Star break in 98, saying it again and then saying, well, Michael, you know, we're not asking Michael to leave. He can make his decision. And that just like, goes to show can how— Can you imagine that happening now? Like, that just goes like, to show how great this team was and how great these players were because they had every single reason to fold it in and just crack under pressure because they know that MJ's not coming back. Scotty's probably gone, which he was. I believe he was traded to Houston or Portland or, or signed with one of them. Well, he signed with Houston. Yeah. yeah. Later and, found his way in Portland. And, and Phil's gone. That gave them all the reason in the world to fold, yet they figured out a way to get that, that sixth championship. They did. And, and that was, you know, we saw, I mean, like you said, this is an MJ doc. One thing that can't be undersold, and, and I guess we can go into talking about MJ a little bit more now. Since Did you have anything else real fast that you wanted to talk about with Phil? No, I just want more Phil. I'm with you. I'm with you. Know, you. I, I don't like what he did with the Knicks, but I think he was put in a really tough spot to do a job that he didn't really want to do. But I wouldn't turn down the amount of money he did either. And dealing with a fucking dis- dysfunctional organization like the Knicks, he's also not a front office guy. I've gained most of my respect back for Phil. I think that, you know, you can certainly divide between him as a coach and yep. him as a front office guy. You know, we've seen a lot. I mean, Jordan couldn't coach. I mean, we've seen great players not be Jordan able to Jordan can't own either. Coaches, Shit. Right, and great coaches not be able to be executives. So we've seen that. But, okay, so let's talk about Jordan here. Because one awesome thing about this is obviously we're seeing this pattern of just relentless determination to win and not giving any excuse or reason why. Like, I love, you know, when they hadn't won a road game yet in 98, 
And he's like, all right. And they're in the huddle. He's like, all right, let's go win this. I ain't saying this shit again. You know, we're going out and winning. And it took an overtime win against an awful Clipper team to do it. He just refused to let them lose, despite the fact that Scotty wasn't playing. And despite the fact that they had some deficiencies and, and there was a lot of drama. I mean, it's awesome. And one thing, you know, let's talk about the Pistons years, right? So they get over the hump after the third third time. And there's the infamous get off the court with seven seconds left and no handshakes. The level of disdain Jordan has for 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 Isaiah now still to this day, to have that level of hate 20 years later is just so beautiful to me. I, I love, love every it. second of it. <laughs> they all hate I, Isaiah. I mean, I they, they said in the documentary, all the superstar players that were, I mean, Isaiah is an all-time great, but that were better than Isaiah being Bird, Magic, and Jordan. All had it with him. Well, that's, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that's that. That's what kept him off the dream team. Episode five, yeah. I mean, four kind of gave us the open-ended part there to say, you know, hey, did Jordan influence Chuck Daly to not to not put Isaiah on the team? And, and I'm sure that, you know, everybody can draw their own conclusions. Isaiah, of course, says, you know, hey, if I knew it was going to be such a big deal 25 years later, I, I'd never, I, you know, I would have done things totally differently. And I believe him on that. But, you know, those Pistons teams, they are not glamorized like the Lakers and Celtics were before them and the Bulls were after them. They're kind of a footnote in NBA history because they were so hated. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, but again, you know, you listen to everybody talk about it. They do have their rightful place. The late, the Lakers were a better dynasty. The the Bulls were a better dynasty. And the Celtics were a better dynasty. So I think they're rightfully placed right there. Yeah, I do too. I mean, back-to-back championships, they went to three in a row. But, uh, obviously, you know, just the strain and stress they put Jordan and those young Bulls teams through was – monumental in the development of those next championship teams for the Bulls, the three-peat ones, because you saw Jordan immediately go in and realize he had to get stronger and start working out. And not only did he do it, but he dragged Pippen and the rest of the team to do the same. So they were ultra-prepared to come back into it. You know, I think it was 89-90, right? Yep. Or 90-91, yeah. So that's that just speaks to the determination more of Jordan saying, I refuse to let this be good enough. We're not good enough and we're, we have to become that good. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the disdain for Isaiah and that entire Pistons team is legendary to this day. I, I mean, I think if they were to play to this day, Jordan would kill him. Oh yeah. Uh, he doesn't want anything to do with him. But I mean, they, and moving on to episodes, what was it? Four and five. I mean, if, if you had a slight on Jordan, he wasn't trying to beat you. He was going to kill you. Like, you yep. talk about how, how pissed he was that him and Clyde Drexler were getting compared just because they had a similar type of game. Like, I could say that I have a similar type of game to, you know, fucking Steph Curry, but that, do, that doesn't mean I'm confident myself to him. But even the fact that they're in the same breath, Jordan went out and killed him. He went out and, yeah, he went for blood. And you know, same remember, thing with Coach. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was like, you're drafting this guy? Why do you like this guy so much, Jerry? Jerry Krause? Like, we're going to put him in a body bag. And for him to come back in the final for Croatia and play as well as he did, you're in the respect of Jordan and Pippen for sure. Yep. And it was like, okay, yeah, this guy's going to come in. 
so we talk about the that 92 dream team, right? Nobody, Barkley didn't want Isaiah. And you mentioned Larry and, and uh, Magic. They didn't really like him either. So he, he was not going to find his way on that team. I mean, if your three best players by far and then another all-time great in Barkley don't want him, and I'm sure the rest of the guys didn't have any say anyways, I mean, yeah, put Leitner on the team instead. Yeah, well, they had to take a college kid, and, and Leitner, was the, Leitner was the one to do it. Yep, absolutely. I mean, looking ahead, they did the same thing with um, Anthony Davis on that second edition of the Dream Team. Yeah, 2012, right? Yep. Yep. It, it was it was fascinating to see that. A thing I, t- I took from there too was that that famous scrimmage that they had, where Magic was just getting on on Jordan, saying, "Come on, you know, like I'm I'm taking it to you. Let's go." And then Jordan promptly scores every basket the rest of the way to win. And you know, Barkley even says he's like, "It was the first time." I think actually it was when they were talk- when they were in the finals against each other, those son the Suns and the and the Bulls. When Barkley was like, it was the first time I was ever on a basketball court and realized I wasn't the best player. Yep. I mean, I think LeBron being the GOAT, I've always had him as the second greatest player of all time just because, you know, I'm a basketball historian. I've done all my research. I know all about this stuff already. But people from our age and beyond are taking LeBron over MJ. I think he's LeBron's in trouble. He better get his own documentary together because this it's really putting, putting a stain on his GOAT case. Well, to your point, you know, I, this documentary started being recorded and authorized by MJ after LeBron came back from 3-1 down in 2016 to beat the greatest regular season team of all time. And yeah. at that point, you know, Jordan to, like you said, our generation, we knew how great he was. We kind of just de facto call him the GOAT, but we didn't really watch him play. And... We've now seen George, or MJ, or fucking, I'm sorry, LeBron do something that MJ never did. He never came back from 3-1 down. They never beat the 73-win team. And he was the reason why and won for a Cavalier team, which had never won. So now it's like, okay, Jordan's starting to lose a little bit of traction here as the best ever because LeBron's so Yeah, but my case against hurt. that was MJ never came back from 3-1 down because he was never down three games in the finals. He never went true. seven. True, true. So, I mean, and the other thing that I hear a lot of people saying, and I see, you see it all over the, the internets or the interwebs or whatever, Twitter, it's like, oh, MJ could have won eight. I'm calling bullshit on that. I mean, at some point, as, as hard as it is to believe, this guy is human. I see an injury in there or him breaking down or whatnot. I think for the second three-peat, that little stint playing minor league baseball was the best thing that could have happened to him. You kind of get a refresh, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I could I could see that. And, and also, too, like, let's not forget. I mean, remember, we, we, we saw it a little bit last night when they were talking about those Knicks teams. The Knicks were really good. And the, the Knicks easily, they almost won in 93. They were up two games to none on the Bulls. And they just couldn't close it out. But then you had those Orlando teams in the mid-90s, one of which beat um, the Jordan Bulls in 95. Yeah. I mean, you had Shaq and Hardaway. I mean, there were some good teams. Absolutely. Indiana was in that discussion, too. Yeah, no, absolutely. Moving on from the Pistons to those young contenders, 
I completely agree with you, but everybody keeps clamoring for, oh, I wish Jordan had a rival. Like, LeBron has had all these, I guess you would call them quote-unquote rivals, whether it be the early Celtics or whatnot. In the 90s, LeBron didn't have anybody. But I just say that's a testament to how much better of a basketball player MJ was than anybody else in the world. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more, man. I, I think so. Because then he, you know, he eventually, he would beat his rivals, too. Like, he made it personal. And obviously, basketball was different back then, right? Like, guys stayed on same teams. Teams were dynastic. There weren't super teams yet. Um, You know, we don't really have that now. Like, you know, that Golden State-OKC rivalry could have been really crazy. And you get Durant to not only leave OKC, but then go to Golden State, which kind of killed that rivalry. Yeah, killed it real real fast. I agree with you, man. Any any other takeaways? I mean, obviously the style and the sneakers and whatnot get me a lot. Um, I'm loving the interviews. I really didn't like the – the one thing I didn't like was the political thing. I mean, listen, this guy – my thing when it comes to politics, and I appreciate all the players that do want to speak out, whether it's LeBron or, or whoever you want to be. I think everybody that has a voice and wants to use it, fine. But MJ didn't play basketball to become a politician. If he doesn't want to, you know, back somebody up, so be it. Yeah, I think that was more, you know, vitriol from the African com- African American community why they're not why he's not backing, you know, this guy in North Carolina that would have been so progressive. Meanwhile, you know, then he comes out and also says, "Well, you know, Republicans buy sneakers too." And not it's a like great that's look. Not, not a great look. And again, like I'm with you. Like, I don't need my athletes to be political. I, I I appreciate them having certain voices in communities that I'm not a part of. And I think that they have a platform that they should take if they so feel that they want to. But, you know, again, Jordan, he said, I was a basketball player. I'm not a politician. I was working on my craft. That was my job. And I thought that was very poignant. Yeah, I, I agree. And he also said something in the documentary that, I mean, maybe he should have said back then, but he just said, you know, he said it, he said it to his mom on the phone. I'm not going to formulate an opinion in, and on something that I don't have the facts on and that I just don't know. Right. And I mean, this was even before the whole social media era. So yeah. imagine how much how much he was going to get killed if he was in, you know, 2012. I mean, in the documentary, they did make it seem pretty black and white. The guy was a, a bigot that was like the six-time senator there. But... I mean, who knows what it was? Who knows what the truth was? Because they're just painting it like that in the documentary. I agree with you. I agree with you there. So I have two other things I want to talk about. And let's start with more of the style. You know, we think of Jordan and Nike as if it was the perfect marriage. Jordan didn't want any part of Nike. He wanted to be an Adidas guy. Adidas didn't really want him. And he didn't want to be part of Converse, which was the basketball shoe and already had guys like Larry and Magic and Isaiah. What did you take away from, I mean, I thought that was great parenting on his mom's part, saying, no, you're going to go to the meeting, you're going to listen to what they have to say, and he built the biggest shoe empire of all time. What did you think of that whole story? Well, he's a billionaire off that brand now. I I found it very interesting. I already knew that story and whatnot. Um, I mean, great job by him and his parents finding that agent that wanted to turn him into a solo star in a team sport because he really was one of the first guys to have like anything he touched it was only because of an endorsement right like he wouldn't drive a certain car if if it wasn't endorsed or eat a certain food in public or whatever because 
everything he might as well use. If you're going to have a likeness, you might as well make money off of it. And, you know, the Nike thing was interesting. I can't blame him at the time because Nike was just known for being those waffle running shoes up in Portland, Oregon from this crazy guy, Phil Knight. Whereas Adidas is an extremely established German brand already and Converse is the standard. And I could understand why he wanted to go to Adidas. Um, being that Converse already had like 90% of the NBA, including all of its stars, he wanted to have a face. But one, clearly Adidas didn't really care. And two, they didn't have the money. At that point in time, Adidas was kind of a, a shit show. I mean, earlier in in time, you know, they had the Run DMC, My Adidas, but that was back in the early 80s and whatnot. They had been kind of run down and just been living off of the past with the Stan Smiths as well as the superstars, and they weren't coming out with any innovative technology, and then Nike comes out. They had already had a shoe design for them, not to mention they threw them two and a half times the amount of what any other brand would throw at them. I think it was a great decision for both. Oh, yeah, I totally agree. The marriage made perfect sense. It was just interesting to hear that backstory because everybody kind of just thinks of Jordan and Nike, it's the you know it had it was it was a seamless it was a seamless move and it, and it wasn't at all. No. It certainly wasn't even his first choice. But I think that shows the great you know obviously having an agent with the forward thinking ability to just say listen you're going to become a global icon here in a team sport even though you're an individual branding your shoe. But also I mean you, you got to have strong parents and people or you know just people in your ear saying no take a meeting even if you don't want it what's the worst that's going to happen you know i thought that was a pretty a pretty cool thing the last thing i want to talk about from the last couple episodes was episode six last night really touching on on jordan's gambling and you know also a little kobe montage in there made me a little sad oh yeah yeah let's yeah i think we should spend a couple minutes on that after this and kind of just you know discuss that that was that was awesome very sad i still can't believe he's gone but you're i didn't know how to perceive his gambling i mean he was obviously the ultra competitor right so he wanted to win everything whether it was cards whether it was golf whether it was whatever and he would put he had the money and he was going to put that down and he refused to walk away until not only did he win, but he killed you and embarrassed you. Did you think that it made him out to be somebody who had a problem, or did you just see it as a guy who enjoyed doing it, had the means, and he never gambled on his game? He never gambled on his sport. I mean, I personally didn't. It never impacted his ability to play. We'll call it that. No, and it never really impacted my view of him. For me, it was just like, I mean. I'm not going to compare myself to Michael Jordan, but when it comes to doing anything, I like to... I was to, just waiting for you, too. I, thought I, <laughs> I like to turn it into a competition, you know, just so I can talk shit after. I think it makes... I think a little healthy competition makes anybody better and makes anybody rise to the occasion. And he was just trying to do that with anything, whether it be gambling, golf, throwing quarters at the wall with weird-looking security guards. Um, <laughs> that was great. That guy had a head of hair on him, man. Um, oh, yeah. Honestly, I kind of liked his style as well. Um, but no, it didn't really take anything away from me. The only thing that was a little alarming was some of the people that he was getting himself involved with when it came to the gambling. Because it wasn't just card games on the plane with the players or security guards or golf with, you know, uh, Danny Ainge or Barkley or, or you name it. He was with some serious 
criminals he was gambling with, which is the only thing that was somewhat alarming because it's like, if that went down the wrong way, we could be talking about this documentary being like MJ, you know, what could have been, but he was killed by the mob or something. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, in that Atlantic City trip that was mentioned during the Eastern Conference Finals against the Knicks, and it looked bad because they went down, you know, two games to none. Yeah, but he shut everybody up. That shit doesn't worry me. The only thing that worries me is the is the gambling with kingpins and, and you know, dirty money lords. No, I'm with you. The only reason I brought that up was because I was kind of, like, showing to your point of, like, you know, it never impacted his ability to win. No. And it was just, you know, I'm going to do this. It's like a guy, you know, if you know a successful person who likes to have a cocktail every night or two or three – but it doesn't impact their marriage. It doesn't impact their, their job. It doesn't, you know, really impact their, their uh, bank account. You know, are they an alcoholic? I don't think that's fair to judge. I mean, Jordan loved to gamble. I don't think he has a gambling problem. It was something he enjoyed doing, and it never took away from what his overall goal was on the basketball court. So Absolutely. He never, got into, he never got into legal trouble with it. I mean, it's the same thing. It's like... You said with the business person that, that likes to have a couple drinks. As long as you're not getting behind the wheel or whatever, who am I to judge? Exactly. And I think, like, you know, we live in an era now where, obviously, again, like, this would have been covered so much more than it was in 1993 because of social media and, and all that. But, again, I think we're so willing to just go at the throat of these people and treat them like they're not human beings or have unrealistic expectations from them. It's like come that's on, classic America. Humans. I don't know if they do that anywhere else in the world, but at least here, you build somebody up and then you look for their flaws and then you you pull them right off that pedestal, put the next person up, and there you go. I mean, at some point they're going to be saying, you know, Luca. I mean, already they're saying Luca's too fat, Zion's too fat. You know what I right. mean? Like, there's always yeah. something. Dude, LeBron gets shit on for the Taco Tuesday thing. Yeah, it's like this guy has the squeakiest, cleanest image and built a freaking school in Akron, and people still won't let him get up from the decision ten years ago. Like, give me a break. Yeah, absolutely. If that's the worst thing he does, then he's golden. Absolutely, no doubt about it, man. Okay, so anything else you want to talk about uh, documentary side? I can't wait for next Sunday already. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, aside from just binge-watching shows, it's really all you got going on. The Kobe thing at the beginning was nice. I'm sure that was already put in there before Kobe, unfortunately, passed away. Um, But it was great to see him in there and saying he doesn't want to be compared to MJ or whatever. And how MJ just talked about him basically like he was next. Yeah, I mean, you saw him in the locker room, right? At the garden saying, you know, look out for the Laker kid. You know, he's coming for us. You guys better be ready. He's... He's, he's going to come take it to us. And just seeing the battle that they had on the court and obviously the incredible, almost brother-like relationship that they formed off of it and how Kobe would call him. And a lot of this stuff was mentioned when Jordan gave his speech at Kobe's memorial. But it's just so crazy to me to think about it. And I'm sure it is for everybody. Like, I was listening, I was watching last night, and I'm like, you know, we're talking about a game where Jordan was on his way out and Kobe was on his way in, and you had the age divide, and it was really Big Brother, Little Brother. And the fact that Little Brother is gone while Big Brother's talking about his history in this documentary to me, man, it just, it just doesn't make sense. 2020 sucks. 2020 has been terrible, but the only thing about this documentary just makes me wish 
I mean, they say never wish your life away, but it makes me wish I was a little older so I could I could understand and take in those moments like that All-Star game a little bit more and maybe some of the Yankees World Series as well. I mean, of course, I was alive and I, I was aware to as much as my brain could be when I was four, five, whatever years old, but it just, it sucks because I, I, I didn't, you lived through it, but did you live through it? No, I mean, obviously, you know, that's like saying you're a 90s kid when you're like four years old in 99. Like, yeah. no, you're not a 90s kid. I hate you know? when like, people claim that, like, I'm not a 90s kid. Like, I was born in 1994. Right. I mean, I was, I, I'm kind of right on the border because I was born in 91. So, you know, I was six, seven, eight years old, but I still, I wasn't a high schooler or like a teenager in the 90s. So it's like, you know, who, it's weird how we say that, but yeah, you're right. I mean, you definitely weren't. I remember Jordan. He was Space Jam, you know, like that was that yeah. was him. That's how I remember really knew him because I'm not watching interviews with him. I'm not an avid sports fan yet. I'm thinking of him in in Space Jam. That's obviously you know he's a great player and he's iconic. That's why he's in it. But you're you're not really attuned to everything else. One other thing, real fast too, is on Charles Barkley. How fucking great was he? He's the man. I love Charles. I'll always love Charles Barkley. I just think he's totally himself. Doesn't give a shit what anybody thinks. And, you know, there's nothing better than that if you can get away and just with as it. A, yeah, and just as a player, my God, was he good. Oh, yeah. Like, he gets he gets his due, I think, by people who, like you said, like, you're a historian of the game. You know how great he was. But people need to watch those. Just go to YouTube and watch some of those Bull Suns games from, from the 93 finals. Like, those Suns teams, dude, they were averaging, like, they were scoring 120 points a game without hitting threes. Yeah. Like, they were so unbelievably explosive offensively. Not a very good defensive team. But the Bulls had their work cut out for them. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they, they had to fight in that series, def- absolutely. Even though it didn't go seven, those were some tough games, including the triple OT game there that uh, Barkley actually did come out and win. But, yeah, I mean... This documentary is all we got going on. Obviously, you and I still would have watched it, but I, I think now it's just getting crazy viewership just because there's nothing else, and I'm really glad it came at this time. Me too, man. It's like, you know, 11, 10 p.m. on a Sunday. You go to Bleacher Report, you go to Twitter, you go wherever. It's being talked about like it was game six of the NBA Finals. It's crazy, but it is awesome, and I think – I think it's just been unbelievable. And I'm not even just saying that because I'm sports deprived. Like I was looking forward to watching this in June along with the NBA finals, but it's just so well done. And the candor that Jordan has, I mean, that's really what makes it great. Cause he is just, he's got his scotch, he's got his cigar and he's just opening up about everything, which it just makes, that's what makes the documentary so great. Yeah. I mean, that's the difference between a good doc and a bad doc. They could have done this whole thing without Jordan being as involved, and it would have sucked. But you need that guy in there to really open up and be himself. Yeah, show his flaws, show him, you know, his remorse, show his killer instinct, his still beautifully strong hatred towards players. It's awesome. Um, let's shift gears here, man, and you know, we'll look forward to next Sunday. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about what this NBA G League momentum is gaining, right? So um, Jalen Green, top high school guy, decides that he is going as well to, as two as uh, as well as two other five stars have decided to sign in the G League and forego their college experience. I guess you'll call it. Yeah, they, so they're they're saying no thanks for the college and and 
we're going to head to the G League and play for what is it, five hundred thousand? I think. Yeah, I think it's two fifty to five, depending. Depending on how, you know how good you are and what teams want you. This is interesting to me. I want to get your take on it first. You know, we've seen players like a Brandon Jennings decide that they're going to go overseas and, instead of college ball, and they come over and they're good because they're playing in other professional settings but this isn't a professional setting this is like a minor leagues how do you feel about a these decisions and b what the momentum could be with more guys maybe going here and and not going to college well um i think that the thing that really jump started for me was the coronavirus mm-hmm I think they're seeing like, shit, college players are just throwing everything out the window. They don't have a guaranteed paycheck. I can't even play in front of anybody. That's just a waste of a year. I might as well sign a guaranteed contract and make a little money off of it, right? Sure. I think that's the first thing. The second thing is I think that the college game has gotten a little less respect. And also, I don't think this is really going to be a trend for very long because I believe in 2022 – is going to be the year where NBA, where high school players can go straight to the NBA, and these guys would have gotten drafted anyway. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I don't. I'm am I'm, I'm torn on it for a couple reasons. You know, when guys go play overseas, they're playing in professional leagues. Now, the level of competition is obviously de- dependent on where they're playing, but for the most part, I mean, you're still playing in professional leagues with with you know, adults. College basketball, I get, has fallen off in the last couple of years. Another it's thing, not... another thing. Sorry to interrupt you there. That has a, no, that has it. something to do with it. Is I think the success of Lamelo Ball mm-hmm. over in the I think it's the ABL or or something like that. Um. Just still being on some play, some people have him ranked as the number one draft pick. Now, I know that also has something to do with the fact that he also went from being, what, six foot, six foot, 100 pounds, soaking wet, and now he's six foot eight, 181 pounds. That also might have something to do with it, and he might be better than his brother, who's putting up numbers in the NBA now, actually having a pretty good year up until. But, I mean, I think it has something to do with his success as well as R.J. Hampton, who him, them two both played in the same exact league, and they're both projected top ten picks, I believe. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, listen, it's kind of what high school was, right? I mean, for every Kevin Garnett, Kobe Bryant, you had a Kwame Brown or a Sebastian Telfair, you know, guys like that, or Eddie Curry, you know, like... I think it's hit or miss anyway. Yeah, what because I'm you have those guys coming out of um, coming out of college anyways. I mean, Hashim to beat your boy from UConn, right? Yeah, he went number two overall. How many years did he play in the league? Trash. Three. Oh yeah, I was gonna say he was at UConn for three. But you're right. Yeah, he wasn't very good at all. And I do think, you know, coaching here, I think, is going to be the biggest thing. Because you can see what you want about college basketball. And listen, I know you and I both love it still. So, like, we don't have to convince each other or ourselves about how important college basketball is. But I think we can admit, right, that it's lost some of its luster. The regular season is almost never watched. Programs turn over so frequently because players leave after one year. Or now you've got the transfer portal where they'll leave after a year or two. And, and you don't really get 
that nucleus of like you know a three or four year team that loses in the elite eight yeah. and then comes back. And I think people are clamoring for that. I do, I do too, and I get that it's changed. But you know what? Unless really top tier coaches, like if you get you know a Rick Pitino to to go to the G League, I, I don't. I still don't know how good of coaching that these players are going to get there. And I, I mean, think that to, to also, argue that, the, though, I mean, a lot of coaches have worked their way up, including NBA championship head coach Nick Nurse. Sure. No, you're as right. well as the Denver Nuggets head coach. Yeah, you get those guys. But, you know, you're. let me ask you this. Zion obviously is a superstar. But I felt like his superstar really gravitated to everybody because he played at Duke. Oh, couldn't agree Mike with you Sh- more because you know Mike what? Krzyzewski. If if they if they had a draft right then and there, R.J. Barrett's going number one, and Cam Reddish is going number two before Zion because they were both ranked ahead of him. Right, and that's what I'm saying is obviously Zion's great, but if he had if he went to the G League and he's playing in fucking. You know, for the Windy City Bulls. And I don't know anything about... I'm not watching those games. They're not on TV ever. I don't know how good he is. They're playing in small arenas in front of not many people. It's different than if you're playing at Duke for my I think that if you go to a top college program for a really good coach and you're playing at Madison Square Garden against Kansas you know, in a preseason game or you get to play in March Madness, which is still, I don't care if you're a college basketball guy or not, you're watching every game. It is the sporting event of the year. And you go and play in some good games against other top competition. I think that that still really matters. I question what the validity will be. Yes, you have a Nick Nurse and a Malone. But overall, you you don't have a Jim Beheim, you don't have a Mike Shashetsky, you no, don't have I a com- Williams, you don't have a Bill Self. I completely agree with you, but I think we're arguing a mute a moot, excuse me, point here, just because I think these guys made this decision based off of the coronavirus and not knowing how far out it's going to go. And in 2022, I don't know about Zion because he really came to fame at Duke, but these blue chip number one prospects, Anthony Davis wouldn't have gone to the to to. Uh, to Kentucky, or, you know, you got these guys that are, are sure things, I think they would have gone out and went to the draft. Probably. But, you know, my my case would then be is, like, how much – how does their career compare to what they were? I mean, you get you get coaching from John Calipari. We'll, we'll say what we want about him, but you got coached by an unbelievable basketball mind. You changed your game while you were at Kentucky. You became Anthony Davis and the number one pick. I think much Anthony more Davis. I think a talent like Anthony Davis would have been just like KG or Kobe or any of these guys, where they would have been just fine. Maybe, yeah, and I think that that's a, certainly an argument you can have both ways. I just think going to Kentucky, playing for Coach. K, I don't think the G League is going to matter, K, but I really yeah, don't. I don't know. I don't think the G League is going to matter because I think the great players are going to come out to the NBA draft and some of the players that think they're better than they are, a la, let's say Cam Reddish went out this year, who's still young, got a lot of talent, you never know, but there you're going to have some guys like a Kwame Brown or a, what was the guy from UConn that I mentioned yeah. earlier, Hashim beat or... I mean, other guys that came out of high school, or then you're going to have the LeBrons, the Dwight Howards, and 
and everything else in between. I mean, it's all going to sort itself out, and these programs are going to be just fine because some of these players are going to know they need a year, and they're not going to go to the G League. They're going to go to these big programs because the other thing that the college basketball programs have that the G League doesn't is you said it, you're not watching the Windy City Bulls. It's because you can't, bro. They're not. It's not like they're on national TV. These big programs are on national TV 10 to 15 times, if not more, a year. And then you have that thing called March Madness where it's all we talk about for a month. Right. Again, college basketball is just fine. I'm not worried about it at all. I just think these guys went into the G League because they said, shit, maybe Corona is going to cancel next season as well. That was going to be my only season in college basketball anyways. Mm -hmm. I would have been playing for free, so I would have gone to college if they open it back up, if. And then they would have canceled the season, and I'm screwed. I might as well go make some money on a guaranteed check in the G League. If I have to play, so be it. I'm just going to hopefully dominate and then get pulled up to the team. If not, then, hey, I made money and whatever. That's a really interesting point. To be brutally honest, I never even thought of that. What I had thought of is, you know, the NBA has put a lot of money into this G League. Remember, it was the D League and then Gatorade wanted to sponsor it. I agree with you, but I think think the G League is going to be – I mean, listen, minor league baseball is like a pastime. And I think the G League in a couple years with players still developing and whatnot is going to become that. In my opinion, the G League is still a success. There's a lot of players in the NBA that have come out of the G League. You look at a Robert Covington. You look at – I mean – one of the best Spencer players, Dinwiddie. Spencer Dinwiddie. Why don't we talk about one of the best players in the NBA? Pascal Siakam came out of the D League yep. or the G League, whatever you want to call it. Not to mention the coaches. I just don't think it's going to become this, oh, I'm foregoing my college eligibility to go to the G League. No, it's either I'm going to the M- I'm entering after 2022, I'm entering into the NBA draft, or I'm going to college. Yep. Now, one thing that I, I think you just brought up, and, and let's do a quick transition on that, because you, you bring up a very interesting point comparing it to college or uh, to minor league baseball. Minor league baseball is a hodgepodge for prospects who have to get through the pipeline, but also failed major leaguers who are clinging on. So let's take a draft. I mean, this year's draft is supposed to not be very good at all. So let's go to 2013. Which of course, was not, the Knicks will probably win the fucking lottery. <laughs> win the lottery. Which, again, you know, obviously it's all subjective. I mean, Giannis went 13th in 2013, and we've seen what he's become. And Anthony Bennett went one. I'm not saying Anthony Bennett would have become a very good player. I don't I trust I don't trust the, the Knicks front office to pick out a guy like Giannis, though, my friend. Probably not. But here's to what you were, I think, alluding to a little bit about the G League. How about we see this for failed NBA guys like a Hashim Sabi, who is sitting on the bench after year two or three? Oh, absolutely. Because I think you can even do veterans. I think yeah, I'd like to see some veteran guys. Because sometimes, sometimes I'll I'll wonder. Like a good example is like an Archie Diacono or like a Denzel Valentine. Like these guys who have these big-time college careers at, like, Villanova, Michigan State, you name it. I'm like, what are they doing? Oh, they're coming. They're on a two-way contract from the G League. That's interesting. They're getting playing time. And now Archie Diacono signed as as a full-time bull. And I believe Valentine is still bouncing back and forth. But the G League definitely has a place because these guys are getting minutes and they're getting run. And I know you're poo-pooing the coaching, but I think it's a little bit better than what you're saying. No, I'm not poo-pooing. They just don't have the names. 
But also right. those well, names were developed over, you know, Beheim's been coaching since, Jesus, 1930. <laughs> no, I know. And I'm not poo-pooing it. I'm just saying that, you know, Coach K has coached on Olympic, has had, you know, coached Olympic teams. you got Calipari, who's coached in the NBA. you get got a lot of guys that Roy Williams has been in forever. Bill Self's been in forever. I mean, these are coaches that, regardless of college ranks or whether they've tried the NBA or not, these are these are guys who make players better. I'm not saying the G League can't have that. You Although I will say a lot of college players. coaches suck in the NBA, a la Nick Saban. Yeah, it's funny how when you <laughs> work for an organization that doesn't let you get through, get through Breeze, right? I mean, it's funny. Uh, I mean, those narratives definitely happen. <laughs> it's, it's certainly true. I mean, but, you look at Calipari with the Nets, and you look at uh, Patino with the Celtics. Right. There's and a reason why they're not teams. still coaching Pro Bowl. True. But, you know, also, it's like those were not good teams. Uh, I, I mean, Nick Nurse took over a very good team and also got Kawhi his first year being there you know Malone's taken over a very good Denver team so it definitely matters the situation here and I'm not saying they're not great coaches obviously they are but I think you know that's a tough comparison to make because if 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 John Calipari walked into those Bulls teams well now things are totally different right you know if Patino walked into I don't know who was really good then. Uh, maybe those Seattle Supersonics teams or those Portland teams. We talk about him very differently. I, I don't know. It's it's an interesting conversation to have for sure. Um, anything else going on with you, buddy? Nothing really, man. Um, you know, I just had some observations. Just a few things I need to get off my chest. Go for um, it. Just from this quarantining thing. First thing is child labor laws. I think they need to be changed. Yeah. I think once you hit double digits, you should be eligible to work. Mm, yeah, I mean, listen. Take. You're I, talking 10 years old. 10 years old, I think you should be eligible to work 12 to 20 hours a week. Anything past that is quadruple over time. But I think that children should be working again. I've watched, I've got two younger cousins who live in the same town as me. I've gone over their house and... I mean, typical school, you have, a, what, a six to an eight-hour day, right? Something like mm-hmm. that, which honestly was a fucking vacation. I would go back to grade school, even, well, high school, I would go back to in a fucking heartbeat because you don't realize <laughs> how good you have it in, like, in a second. But these kids with, with this online learning or whatever, I mean, the teachers, because my mom is a teacher, are fucking slaving because their parents are lazy, the kids aren't handing shit in on time, whatever. You want, you name it, it's going on. My mom's working on the weekends, whatever. But from the kids' side, these kids are fucking starting their work at 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, and they're done by 11. That means they got plenty of time to get their asses out there and mow some lawns or clean some pools or, or do something. You know well, what I mean? Well, I was just going to say, you're going to have to really... Uh... You're going to have to put a lot of restrictions on what kind of jobs we're talking about here. Mow lawn. Oh, I'm not and saying. I don't know. I'm thinking about myself as 10 years old. Like, ah, probably not a great idea for me to be doing any of that shit. Okay, fine. They could weed. Can you pull weeds at 10? Sure. Yeah, you can. I think if you have two hands, this you can pull weeds. This is a very strong weeds. take by you. Yeah, well, you know what? I mean, I'm not saying that they should be going and working in fucking factories till 11 o'clock at night. Or they should be running, you know, fucking Fortune 500 companies here, Sean. But, you know, I mean, I think maybe there should be a website called Hire, Hire a 10-year-old. And, yeah, you can, <laughs> you can walk my dog. Or you can clean up my dog's shit in the yard. Or you can weed for me. Or 
I mean, I don't know. You can fucking clean out my attic. I, you name it. Like, just odd jobs for, for kids. I, I, I'm all for it. All right. I think I'm the labor force has been tremendously weakened, and I think that we should reset the economy by hiring children. I'm looking forward to the tweets and the emails that we are about to get as soon as we're done with this because people are, I think, going to have some very strong reactions. Yeah, and people are too fucking soft. Listen, let me tell you, everybody that's listening, your kid is not the next fucking Steve Jobs. Your kid is not the next fucking Bill Gates, okay? They're not baby geniuses. They don't have to be coddled. You know what's going to be best for them? Getting out there hearing fucking 10,000 no's trying to sell phone books, okay? That will be the best thing for them. I'm tired of people being so goddamn soft. Oh, I never tell my kid no. We use other words than no. Like, what? You don't use the word fucking... Do you know how many times I heard no when I was a kid? Well, with you, probably a lot. Yeah. I mean, fucking every day I heard no at least 20 times. If I got a maybe, which obviously means I don't feel like arguing with right now, but it's a no in the future. When I have the strength to argue with you, I was happy. Like, these kids are so fucking soft these days. It's incredible. And I think a little work, a little hard, not even hard labor, a little labor. Not to mention, all these kids are out there playing fucking video games. Let me tell you, your kid's also not going to be a fucking Twitch star, YouTube star, video game star. They shouldn't be locked in. The, oh, they're going to be great at this. Get the fuck out of here. Your kid well, rage quits on me. A couple things me. are going to have to happen here. One... Parents are going to have to adopt that philosophy because I don't think parents have that now. I, parents I think are parents, pussies, okay? Parents, you know, well, I don't have kids. I'm probably going to be a big puss too, but. But but see, that's the thing is kids might not even believe they're the next Steve Jobs. But if their parents telling them that and you're talking about the no, how many times you I'm no, all for that's not the kid's fault. I'm all for positive reinforcement telling your kid, yeah, you can do anything if you put your mind to it. But guess what? Me just telling you that is a lot different than you going out there and putting the fucking work in, right? I don't know. I, I mean, it is. But again, I think we're arguing two different things. Is it the kid's fault that they don't get told no and they don't know how to respond to no? No. that's. So you're that's telling me it's a parent problem. That's 100%. I agree with you. Like, I couldn't agree with you more. Child labor. What you're describing, though, yeah, but even if you implement that, dude, we have you can work at 15 or 16 in a lot of places. I'll tell you what, I had my working papers at 14 years old. But but there's a lot of, but there's a lot of. I know you grew up in Ridgefield, Sean. I I know you were swimming in the (laughs) pool. I was no, oh no, I was put, I was put to work. I was working at a at a local grocery store at 16, and I then worked. I worked at Kohl's. Look at me, man. I'm proud of us. Listen, man, I, I had a, I was instilled a very strong work ethic, and I cut my parents' grass, and guess what? I didn't get – they didn't give me money to do it either. They said, hey, you're doing this. But I'll tell you this. I, I don't know that even if you enact your child labor laws and change them up. I, at 16, a I'm lot not of parents saying, don't. I'm not saying laws. Parents I'm not don't saying... want their kids working a lot of the cases. They're saying you focus on school. You're going to go to college and get, and you're going to have these kind of grades, and I don't want you doing something. Let me tell you something about college, though, okay? You and I have both been to college. 
They're yeah. going to say, oh, you're going to go to college, you're going to accumulate all this debt, and then you're going to make $35,000 a year until you're 30 years old and maybe you get lucky with a promotion. Well, how's that working out for you? Or maybe, Sean, or maybe you let your kid, oh, you know what, you want to get a job, little Jimmy, at 10 years old, and then Jimmy starts weeding, finds out that he likes working outdoors, starts his own landscaping company when he graduates high school with no debt, living under his parents' roof. Before you know it, he's 35. He owns three fucking houses and he's got 15 people mowing lawns for him. How's that sound? It sounds great. He didn't create Facebook, but you know what? He made a nice goddamn living for himself. He's renting out one of the houses. He's got a vacation house and then he's got a McMansion down the block. You're putting a very good comp there to the high school players coming out and going right to the pros. Yeah, you'll have those guys. You'll have those kids. But they're not going to be the majority. And also, again, you're you're arguing, I think, a couple different things here. I agree I, with you. They're not going to be laws, the majority. The are not going to let them do it. They're just not. No, listen, I'm not saying that it has to be mandatory. I'm not saying, like, oh, this kid has to work. I'm saying we should lower the child labor laws for the parents out there that have a set of balls on them that will say, hey, you know what? If this is safe, I think instead of playing Fortnite for – I don't know, 10 hours a day and going to bed too late? Maybe play it for two and go out and get your hands dirty. Shovel some snow in the winter up and down the block for $10 an hour or whatever minimum well, I wage think, is I now. think that's happening. I think those kind of jobs you're describing are happening anyway. I don't think that you – the whole reason that those are freelance jobs is so that you know your neighbors or your aunt or whomever can give, can give you a little handout. You're not going to be able to go and work at a place where you have to have paper and papers and file taxes. Well, I'm changing. Well. I'm commercializing it, and I'm going to run the enterprise that these kids get their papers through. I'll so I get all. I it. get a cut. All right. Well, obviously. So what we've really come down to is you're just trying to find a way for you to benefit off these kids and get and and, and prop yourself up. Yes. Uh, well, I will be molding young children. Well, this is a very horrifying thought, but at least we finally got to the end of the road where we found out that the only reason we're trying to do this is that you can be benefited from it. I'm just sick and tired of hearing how soft the world is. Now, what do you think now? I've, I've been sitting here thinking, so what do you think the biggest thing that's happened to us now when it comes to just social impact has corona in our lives? I mean, we didn't live through the Great Depression or the Industrial Revolution or anything like that. Or the assassinate anything really? Is it nine eleven or is it this? Oh, I think it's this. I mean, nine eleven really. Nine eleven changed impact. a lot, though. If you start to really deep dive. No, well, obviously it did, but I mean, it didn't affect the entire country to the level that this did. I mean, what I mean by that is, you know, you had the obviously attack on the twin towers in New York City, right? And then you had the point, the attack on the Pentagon. And the plane that went down, you know, towards D.C. But the West Coast was not affected by this at all. And a lot of what I'm finding. Well, it wasn't directly affected, but there was no, a lot I mean, of things that happened yeah, post. Security, yeah, security. And I'm gotten, sure people were scared. Everybody remembers where they were when it happened. Right. No, I, I, I'm not disagreeing there. I'm just saying that, you know, there were a lot of people in a, the majority of this country that were not impacted personally in any way. So yeah, what I good think point. I'm finding out is okay kind of the same thing here um there are people who i'm not going to say are reckless but i'm definitely going to say more so nonchalant about it because they have not been personally impacted by this 
So if they don't have a relative that's gotten it or they don't have a family friend that's gotten it or they don't have anybody that they personally know who has had this or has suffered from it, people are going to be far less, you know, respondent to the social distancing things. You know, I think a lot of people want to have their freedoms back. And I think that if you haven't been impacted by this, you're going to want to carry your life out as soon as the restrictions are lifted as if this didn't even happen. That's my thought. Just from a human psychology standpoint, I think the people that have been directly affected by this, there are no people that have it or have gone through the suffering. Um, they're going to be far less apt to return to what pre-coronavirus life was. And I do think that there's going to be, I think until we have a vaccine, things are going to be totally different. People will not be eager to go out and eat at restaurants. People are not going to be eager to go get their hair done, you know, nails done, stuff like that. People are not going to want to take airplane flights. They're not going to want to take mass transit. They're not going to want to sit in arenas or stadiums. I definitely think that's possible, right? Until we have a vaccine where you're going to get it and you're going to know, okay, perfect. Now I'm immune from this. But I, I definitely think there's going to be a, a, a very divided post-coronavirus lifestyle, don't you? Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's it's definitely, I mean, a lot of places are going to go out of business. And, and it's pissed me off because, I mean, you're just Googling now, NYC not social distancing. And it was a beautiful weekend, let me tell you. I went for a nice drive with my windows down, but nice. I didn't really go anywhere. I took the dog for a walk. Um, but there's people sitting in parks. People are just completely ignoring this thing. And I get it. I mean, I'm fed up too. I want to get out and about. I want to play some golf. Like the driving range opened today. I still didn't go. But there's people completely disobeying this. But I, I do agree with you. I think that so, so I think that Corona 2020 is is what everybody's really going to remember and be telling their grandkids. Like I was I was alive during a time where no one was allowed out of the house, not one person. And that's yeah. pretty crazy to say. It is. I mean, listen, we hear about what it was like during the Cold War, right? Like preparing for bombs being dropped and duck and cover and all that. And you know, you had the Great Depression, and then you had you know what went on to. You know, you had World War Two and people getting drafted and Vietnam people getting drafted and for the first time really protesting a war because it was colorized for the first time and shown the atrocities of war. Um, you know, all through we've had, you know, the Spanish flu in 1918, 1919. You've had everything. You had terrorist attacks on our country. It, it definitely all matters. It's it's different, though, with this. I think the thought of getting sick or giving somebody you love and care about a, a potentially destructive and crippling to deathly disease, that scares the shit out of a lot of people. And I do also, I hope that people have a more keen awareness for what we've deemed as necessities versus luxuries. And I think we have collectively viewed a lot more Necessity, more, much more luxuries as necessities. When in reality, they are luxuries. They're not necessities. Yeah, they're I things think... we wanted. They're things we want to do. They're things that we deem essential because we've had access to them. Uh, living in a free country or having the, you know, means to to do certain things like go play golf if you have the money to play golf. You know, you have the freedom to go do that basically whenever you want. Now those things haven't happened and we're like, well, do I have to do that? Do I have to eat out at a restaurant? I like doing it. Do I have to go to a bar? I really like doing it. Do I have to though? No. And I think that's going to definitely be open up a lot of eyes. I agree with you, but 
and and you don't have to do anything. I I definitely agree with that. But at some point, you do just have to get the hell out and see other people and communicate with other people and and whatever. And and you and I are in the same in the same. I mean, you might be a little more extreme than me. I fucking hate talking to people, but I'm dying just to even ask somebody how the weather is that I haven't seen at this point. <laughs> you know what it is though? Is it? It's funny. Like part of what makes me enjoy my peace and quiet is because I work a job where I'm not only around people all day, I'm literally engaged in conversation to some capacity. Some are very deep conversation. Some is more, you know, on the surface and superficial, but I'm around people all damn day and having conversations with people all damn day, yeah. eight to 10 hours. And that's, you know, that can be exhausting. It's so draining, I like coming yeah. home and, 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 and you know, and, and just being able to relax with my thoughts and, and not much else. And do whatever you want, yeah. Right, but now it's different because I'm not having that interaction. I'm not having that interpersonal communication. So I, I do find myself more engaged with people to try to have conversations. And, and But, you know, sometimes, too, I think it's just like, you know, everybody wants to talk now, which is hilarious because we're finally at a point where there's never been less to talk about because nobody's doing anything. One thing that's probably a blessing, though, is I've definitely spoken to people that I should speak to a lot more, more often. You know, I find myself yeah, FaceTiming my mom every single day, whereas yep. before that, it's like every couple days, maybe we talk on the phone for three minutes, but now it's just like, fuck, I miss everybody. I'll, I'll talk to you for two hours. Where right. I, I'm well, just hoping that when this is all over and at some point when things go back to more normal, we do remember this and, and try and keep the keep that social aspect of it, I guess. Well, we, we saw that kind of, to your point, we saw that kind of collective, you know, coming together after 9-11, because even though there... Yeah, and then it went back to normal, right? That's kind of my piece, is I do think we'll have a great sense of togetherness, but I also think, you know, we live in a climate that's very divided. We have an election in six months. Oh, yeah, let's we not have, forget about that. We have a lot of... There's going to be still a lot of contentious contentious rather um conversations and dialogue and divide because of how diametrically different people's ideologies are and you know one thing that i don't know how you feel about it the this is not something that should be political you know like if i criticize the president's lack of response i'm not doing it as somebody who doesn't is a democrat versus republican I'm doing it like, hey, you didn't do a good enough job to put us in the position where we should have been more prepared for this. Like firing the epidemiology department of the CDC a couple of years ago because you never thought that this could happen. I'm sorry. That's a really bad look. I don't care who you support. But yep. that's the kind of world we live in where, you know, you form an opinion, you have a side, you have a sense of unity with that person or with other people who feel the same way where when those kind of pieces of information are brought to you, you feel personally attacked because you're on the defensive and you don't like that. And to me, I'm like, no, I'm not criticizing him as a Republican, criticizing him because he did a bad job. And I don't know why you can't. He's just been a bad leader in this situation. Yep. Right. And so I I think that this has become a very political thing. Well, so has everything else, though. And ever since over the past few years, everything turns into a politics race or um, politics uh politics argument and when it gets to that you you can't argue and say all right i understand your points anymore now you're either vehemently on one side or vehemently on the other there's no 
friendly arguments anymore when it comes to that, my friend. No, there are not. And I guess my hope, even though I knew it was not likely, was that we would put our differences aside during this and just try to all come together. But, you know, that's not what's happening. And that, you know, that disturbs me just a little bit. You want to know why that happened? Because people didn't work as children. Wow. Look at you bringing it all together. (laughs) I like it. People are too soft, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a... I also think people are... Although, you know, there's a lot of tough people out there. And all the people, all the first responders, shout out to them for dealing with this shit for a very long time. Obviously, we're speaking generically and one conversation doesn't go into the other. We are are in a great position where we can talk about sports and a documentary and a little bit of life from the comfort of our own apartments and not, you know, have to go out on the front line and risk our lives literally every day. So we understand that. But, you know, you're right. I mean... Listen, I also think people, not only are they soft, but I think I think generally speaking is people want to be heard more than ever. And they think that their opinion is the one that matters the most. And, um, you know, and people such a just don't get of, their facts anymore. That's what that's the other thing that pisses me off. Yeah, that scares me, too, because, you know, there's a lot of important people who are making decisions that they shouldn't be making or saying things that they shouldn't be saying. And kind of like what you what we talked about earlier in the documentary with MJ, right? Like. He was not a politician. He was not educated enough on the whole thing, and he didn't want any part of it. He was a basketball player, and that's what he was focused on. And, you know, I think he made the right move, even if he got some, you know, backlash for it. But I yeah, think and LeBron's done that before, too, where he said, I'm not educated on that, I don't want to speak on it. Then he went, got educated, and spoke on it. And I right. appreciate I mean, yeah. that more than somebody blindly send, sending out a take and then putting themselves in a shitty position because they didn't know what they were talking about. Right. And you can be wrong, too, guys. Every, every, you know, it's okay. Like, you and I give our opinions on sports and on draft picks and on, And you we're know, wrong. More than we're right. <laughs> well, you <laughs> are. Very I mean. often. Well, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> I have to put you in your place sometimes. But you're right. I mean, we, we, we have been wrong. But you know what? We have the right to change our opinions on certain things. And you know what? Everybody else does, too. And we should do that more than clinging to a first opinion that we probably didn't have enough facts of to go on in the first place so anything else going on for you buddy watching any shows or anything billions was back out last night i have to watch that obviously i watched the documentary and said i gotta watch it i i prioritized the documentary because i knew we'd be talking about it today all right so you're you're we're gonna hang up and you're gonna you're gonna go right to it um yeah i might i mean we're probably gonna have another pod this week so i got time to watch it i think you should get into that show if you haven't yet yeah, man. There's now a that you have the time. That... Every time yeah. I get on this podcast, there's a couple shows. Like, what are you, like, still busy or something? <laughs> no, because I'm just, like, I, I don't find myself. I, I've been watching more documentary shows. Like, I've been watching this awesome Civil War doc on uh, on Amazon Prime Video. It's fucking awesome. You know, something I'm learning about. I watched this movie, The Lighthouse, last week, which was a horror movie. It had William Dafoe and Robert Pattinson, and it was freaky as shit but not mm. something up my alley all that often but it looked interesting and that was a really good movie um there's a couple other movies I, I don't know i find myself listening to a lot of pods like history stuff you know sports stuff and but yeah i know there's i gotta i gotta get up with my shows i think about it often but i just don't pull the trigger yeah it's a me problem i hear you man I'm, I'm the same way i mean there's sometimes where i'll just stare at a show and then be like eh, i don't feel like it i'm gonna watch youtube for a little bit yeah, exactly. That's kind of why I've gone down the 
YouTube rabbit hole with a couple of things and you kind of just realize like, Oh wow, another day is gone. But yeah. I don't know. I'll, I'll figure something out. Maybe we'll force ourselves to like watch something where we have to talk about it. So it's actually game like, of Thrones. Let me give you an update has slowed down for me. Ah, so Thrones porn and you're, I'm on it's season what? two. I it's one of those things where I see it over there in the corner. I'm gonna get back to it. Are you? Have you lost any interest? And that's why it's in the corner. Well, yeah, just I'm just not. Other things. I'm just not that into it. I'm I'm entertained by it. Like it's not like one of those shows where it's just like I'll never watch that again because I don't like it. I'm just not. You know, I'm not reading all the books and building all the puzzles and just completely being a, a Thrones nerd. Here's the thing about shows like that that have such a following. And those people is... know who I'm talking about when I make those references. <laughs> yeah, and they take it as compliments. Listen, <laughs> you, you're part of a community when you watch a show like that, knowing you have millions of other people that support it, right? Like, obviously, we were in the vast minority, and we were the contrarians. Who but we're, watch but it we can get that kind of vibe when we watch these do- the MJ doc and whatnot. Oh, yeah, no, no doubt. And and that's like, you know, like I would never have watched Tiger King if sports were going on. I just yeah, wouldn't have. Yeah. And, I, and I would have been okay with it. And I would have had no problem with hearing about it and everybody talking about it and me being left out because I truth of the matter was I didn't really give that much of a shit. But in quarantine with no sports, I was like, you know what? I have an excuse to watch this. Yeah. And you know what? Am I happy I watched it? No. Do I really care that other people watched it? No, but I was a part of that. I was a part of that fantastic. You know, I understand all the memes now and get all the craziness that came from it. And You're hip to feels it. good about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. I listen. I think if there was no sports in the world, you and I both would have watched Game of Thrones. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, like, I think you and I talked about it when we were making fun of it last year. Like, I had given it a try twice. Mm. I, I, I tried catching up to it and because I, I had an ex-girlfriend who loved it. So like it's always the ex-girlfriend, to, man. It's always right. Always. And she tried to get me to watch it. And like I kind of felt like you did. Like I was entertained by it, but I couldn't really get into it. I wasn't invested in the characters and the stories. And she's like, how do you not care about them? Like, I just, like don't like I'm sorry. Like I just don't. So that's why I put the, you know, end to it because I'm like, I'm just not. This isn't my thing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it seems like we've got a couple more things to watch, a couple more things to go over. Maybe we'll, we'll cook something up for later in the week if, um, I don't know, they develop something on the NBA coming back or MLB right now. So far, what have we got? Nothing really. I mean, they're going to put the MLB in Orlando or Vegas, or NBA, excuse me, maybe. MLB is going to stay down south in their spring training facilities, maybe. For Do me, I'm all, all for it. sports are coming back? I think at some point, yeah, the players are going to get itchy. And, I, I mean, I think these these people who lead these sports with the unions and all that stuff, they're probably on Zoom like 12 hours a day trying to figure something out. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, you and I, when everything shut down, we talked about it for a little bit. And we agreed that as long as mass testing is not taken from the public and accommodated only for these athletes – then we're good. And I don't think the leagues would do anything either. The one thing that has changed my mind because I was negative and kind of pessimistic about some of these things coming back probably about a month ago. Here's the one thing that we just have to face the cold, hard truth about. And again, for people who are soft and hear this, like, Hey, I'm sorry. Like if it offends you, but we live in a capitalist country where the economy means a lot. 
And I'm sorry, that ethical dilemma that has been posed of how many people have to die for us to make money. People are dying anyway, and the cold heart of it is in this kind of economy and structure is however many need to, because these are multi-billion dollar industries, and people are losing an absurd amount of money. Somebody's making money right now on this, buddy. They will come. I'm investing in a lot of companies that are coming up with a vaccine, so somebody's going to make some money. Yeah, exactly. And like come hell or high water, I don't know how, I don't know when, and I don't know where. But these sports are coming back this year because for the lack of a better phrase, they have to. It just is what it is. Yeah, and I think you were also against it because, you know, you didn't want it to be tainted or whatnot. But now everyone's at the point where it's just like, I don't give a shit if it's only the players and they don't even announce the game and I have to watch it on mute. I'll, I'll fucking do it. Yeah, and you know what's cool, too, is, like, more has come out technologically that I was not that privy to. Like, Peter Schrager was on the Bill Simmons podcast last Thursday night, and they were talking about what a possible NFL environment could be, like, with no fans. And Schrager, who works for Fox and the NFL Network, said, listen, there we have the technology at Fox for everybody to do the game from a prompter and pump in, like, spontaneous crowd noise that's reactionary to plays. And that's not a hard thing to do. Yeah. So I was like really taken aback by that because, you know, it's not something I think about. So I'm thinking the only thing the game, the only thing no that fans. concerns me with the NFL, especially just due to the volume of the players, is that I'm worried that there's going to be I mean, NBA, no, because it's so small. MLB, maybe, but NFL especially is I just think there's going to be some asshole that like goes outside of the bubble. Yeah, oh, and I ruins it so. for everyone. You know what I mean? Or, mm-hmm. or maybe they don't go outside of the bubble, but they have a female friend or a family member or a friend come visit that might have been exposed. You know, right. and they sneak them in because I don't care how much you lock down these hotels and whatnot. Like when you're that bored and whatever, like you're gonna figure out a way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. And you're, that's you what know, I'm again, concerned I- with. I think to that point, too, is it's a little bit about what we talked about earlier, right, about our reaction to how things might change. It's like people, if they have not been affected by this or they don't know people who have been, they think they're invincible, especially 23, 25-year-old guys. Yeah. You know? like. And the thing just, is, like, with this, with this disease, I mean, this, this virus, excuse me, it, it only takes one. And this thing, one, it spreads like wildfires. And two, like you saw with the NBA, like – Maybe the NBA could have tried to keep playing and isolated their players, but the Jazz are a contender and their two best players have corona. Like, is it really fair to let to let the league go on when they have a legitimate shot at the championship? Well, one very interesting thing for people who follow sports, listening to this podcast for that reason, but also because we're obviously very entertaining and know what we're talking about. Um, the Korean baseball organization is starting. And ESPN's going to cover their games. And they're oh, going to yeah. broadcast. Who's your team? <laughs> I have not followed a team yet. But they're going to be on at like 1 a.m. or whatever. You know, but what I'm fascinated to see is there's going to be, you know, American, you know, ESPN baseball guys that are going to do some of these games from a prompter. Nice. And I'm fascinated to see what the environment is like there. And also when inevitably a player gets tested positive what the what the course of action is going to be and this will be 
a blueprint for not just how Major League Baseball comes back, but all the sports come back. I think it's going to be something to be fascinating to to look into and follow and study because it's probably going to provide some kind of blueprint, like I said, for how our sports are coming back. Yeah, it'll be interesting on a much smaller scale. But, I mean, at least it'll be live sports, maybe something I can gamble on. I was just going to say, you need to pay attention because you're going to find a team and you're going to you're gonna look up and down the rosters and look at stats and soon enough, you know, you'll be talking to me about who who you've been gambling on. Well, yeah, maybe maybe we can get some prospects out of it over to the majors. I like it. All right, man. Well, everybody follow us on Twitter, at Sorry Sports, on Instagram, Sorry underscore Sports. I cannot wait to hear all of your reactions to Tom's child labor laws yes. possibly re- revised. Please let us know how you feel about that more than anything else we even talked about today. Go ahead and check out the website, SorrySports.com. And again, if you want to say anything to me about my laws, I will argue with you, but just know I'm right. <laughs> it's SorrySports at Yahoo.com. Um, that about wraps it up. I think I'm going to go and shout out my window at a neighbor and ask them MJ or LeBron. Go do it, man. I, I let's, hear the, yeah. let's hear the polls for that, too. <laughs> yes. All right, man. Well, we'll be All back right, later. Man. Yes, sir. Good talking to you. Stay safe, everyone.